I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Is it about working harder? Or is it about doing your passions? And I'm still torn between working harder or doing what's easy for me, but that I do best. You know, and somewhere in the middle, there's a, you know, there's there's a sweet spot. Welcome to a brand new and very special episode of Chosen Family. I'm Thomas LeBlanc. And I'm Trana Winter. Today we have one of our dream guests on the show. It's Mitsu Jelina. Icon! (laughs) For those of you who do not know, Mitsu is a Quebecoise icon. She had a major pop career in the late 80s, early 90s with massive hits like Bye Bye Mon Cowboy and Dis-moi, Dis-moi. I'm a huge fan of her music and so getting the chance to meet her was so exciting. Of course, she was recently a guest judge on Canada's Drag Race and she reminded everyone coast to coast why she is the legend. And I think with her being on Drag Race, there's now this introduction to a whole new audience and so I'm so excited for people to listen to this conversation and get to know who Mitsu really is. Something that was also really exciting was that this was the first interview that we got to do in person. Um, We have a studio set up in Thomas's friend's house and Mitsu actually came and we saw her car pull up outside the window. We were getting nervous and excited and then the doorbell rang and she walked in and honestly she has such a magical powerful presence that is so warm and loving, I just started gushing right away. Thank you. (laughs) Already I've been waiting for this moment, guys. Well, me too. Are we recording? We're recording. So can I confess something? Well, first, I'm such a big fan. Like, I genuinely love you. I have all of your albums. I love your music videos. I even love Coyote. I think it's a great movie. movie. I don't want to sound like a crazy stalker, but I feel like I was like manifesting this connection. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, me and Mitsu need to be friends. For like sure. It, it needs to happen. And now it's happening. So it's kind of surreal. I don't want to break your great friendship, but I think, you know, we should be working You can together. have her. We can, we can, we can share. No, but we can I have to tell you uh, that, you know, to me, this show is the best thing that happened since uh, Kelly Ripa. P, uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's, the, ins- that's the inspiration. Yeah, it is. I can feel it. I can feel it every time like you start the show and you're just chatting i think it's just the connection is so real and fun and interesting so i've been learning a lot with your podcast and i'm a fan so how do you feel you know about having your greatest fan (laughs) well that is surreal in itself i can't think of anyone better to to share this moment with 
Um, were you mean so much to me? Also, you were my first album when my parents bought me a turntable when I was three years old. El Mundo was my first album. When you I'm were that, three, you and I was three too. You started oh, so young. Emma, merci beaucoup. No, but it's great. I was uh, merci beaucoup. But El Mundo, I think people. Yes, there's Bye Bye Moncaba, and we'll talk about it. But you're you always stood for diversity and inclusion, even back then. And that's my earliest memory of you is that you everybody was welcome. And you had this like message of love and acceptance in your music and your performances. And I speak for myself or all the queer Quebecois who were born in the 80s, you raised us. And oh, I mean, wow. <laughs> you really, really, really mean a lot to me and to, to everyone my age. Well, so, see, yeah. you're raising me now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a really special moment because I think you're getting that kind of recognition also in English Canada because you are on Canada's Drag Race. Isn't this crazy? <laughs> <laughs> What happened? They reached out to you? They reached out, like I think it was in last April, and I just had announced to my team, my radio team in Montreal, that I was not going to continue. And the date that Canada Drag Race was asking me to go to Toronto was the day after I finished my last show of 21 years wow. yeah. of doing radio every day. So like, I took it like a gift. And then I knew that my kids were going to freak out. <laughs> and Stella, my love. 18 year old said, mommy, I'm shitting myself right now. <laughs> and she was literally freaking out because she's been such a fan. Do you watch Drag Race at home? Do you watch Drag yeah. Race with them? Yeah, of oh, course. Wow. At one point, she's in the kitchen and she says, like, everybody say love. And oh. I'm like, oh, my God, you're singing mommy's song. <laughs> and she's like, no, it's RuPaul's. And I, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, he wrote a song for me. That's the yeah. tea. That's the tea. That's the tea. So in I 1993, wait. right after mm -hmm. Supermodel of the World, yes. uh, RuPaul's biggest hit, yes. you, because at the time you're already doing English music, very dance pop. I was signed by Hollywood Records, which was oh, Miley's owned by, label. Uh, by Walt Disney. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I, I was working with tons of people In, in Los Angeles uh, and in New York. And I was working with a guy uh, who's called uh, Jimmy Harry, who's a great producer. And at one point he's like, um, so I think that my friend wrote you a song, you know, that you might like. Uh, and, and, and it's RuPaul. And I'm like, what? <laughs> This is crazy. Because it and was then, the biggest gay hit in the world. Or oh, hit, yeah. You know, it was and like a I club hit. I was a major yeah. fan. At yeah. the time, there was like Groove is in the Heart, yeah. Delight. And Supermodel. Supermodel, exactly. And I remember like spending like my New Year's Eve dancing on this song uh, or on St. Lawrence Street. Uh, so, so RuPaul came in the studio in New York. And RuPaul was RuPaul having the jeans, wearing jeans, a t-shirt, just casual, no makeup, uh, a baseball cap. 
And then I understood what it was to be a star. Wow. RuPaul was just so simple oh. and shining wow. at the same time. So I mean, I, I think thought, you two you have know, that in common. I would say that. That you're well, simple and well, shining. Right now, I'm wearing foundation. <laughs> <laughs> and RuPaul wasn't. <laughs> That's... Also, I just have to say on a side note, I love that album and my favorite song on that album and my favorite song of yours. I don't know if you'll even remember this song called I Really Love You. Oh, Do you remember that it? song? May That's we... my favorite. I Why? love that song. It just has this uplifting, Six joyful days. energy that just feels so, it feels like you're floating on air when you listen to that song. Wow. It's my favorite. Really? Yeah. But it's so great to see like you on Drag Race. And obviously, as Thomas mentioned earlier, there's such this love for you in the queer community. How aware of it are you? Like, how aware are you that you are like a gay icon and drag queens love you and perform your songs? Oh, definitely. It, to me, it's like my my little cloud, mm. my little safety net. Yeah my little like comfort zone that I know that I've got friends somewhere. Because that audience is so loyal. No, it's crazy. To everyone that we love, Same. like it's, it's forever, but, you know? But Trana, you know, I traveled the, the United States and I, I did like 31 cities in 38 days and I would go to all the gay clubs in the States, you know, so I can tell you about, you know, the Texas greatest gay bar, you know, and I <laughs> so that was the you. early nineties so, for you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why to me, you know, like it's my own little pad, my yeah. own little comfort zone. So, and I feel, I feel so, I feel so good in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you saw a drag queen perform one of your songs or dress up as you? Hmm. I can I can surely remember the last. Okay, tell us about that. <laughs> okay, c'est uh, dans la dans la cassette de Paulette. Paulette. Oh my god. Okay, so this uh, Paulette drag. will freak out. Paulette is my friend. Oh, but she knows because <laughs> yeah. you DM, you DM Paulette. We DM, we DM so much. <laughs> uh, you're gonna think that it's all I do, but it's not. <laughs> but but so Paulette organized. A, a a a show with all my songs and then I could see like different songs uh performed by different artists but you know the views the different views were so interesting yeah. and the way to perform them that I felt like this is the only way I would do a show I, I don't live I would do like you guys perform <laughs> and I just tell my story yeah you know, this would work like ABBA or yeah, you know, like something yeah. like that, you know, like just do my song. But you I have prefer to do the watching you than watching me. But you have to do the finale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to do something yeah. somewhere. But I love that idea that I can almost see that in my mind. And you mean so much to our community, I think, also because of your actions. You did things. It wasn't only like touring gay clubs. It was also, f for example, um, taking an HIV AIDS test on television in the early 90s. Can you describe that? Like, why did you decide to do that? Because it was, um, there was a, a CBC uh, show on uh, on French uh, side of 
je vais le dire correctement. On Radio-Canada, which is uh, CBC's uh, French uh, counterpart, uh, there was this amazing show which was called Studio Libre. Mm. And Studio Libre was about having guests and they could do whatever they wanted. You know, they could create something. We thought about this thing and, and we organized it and I took the test. Were you and scared? Not even. But it's when I got the results that my head started turning and I was like, what the heck, you know, what was I thinking? <laughs> like I realized afterwards mm. that it could have gone wrong too. You know, it could have gone. Or the other way. Or, or yeah. yes, yeah. it's a better way to say it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That moment meant a lot to a lot of people. It was a time when people were scared to even hold someone's hand that was right. HIV positive, right. you know? So it was such a big gesture, you know, that as Thomas said, people really cherish you, you know? And a lot of it goes back to those moments. And, and do you realize how far we've gone? Yes. Like, do you realize we're talking about HIV, how far, you know? how 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 our lives because you know that's mm. how i'm i'm gonna say it is is better this way you know is is better now and drag would be such a star loved by everyone mm -hmm. not only you know the not gay only community. the underground yeah yeah not only the, the the underground and the gay community and the gay friendly community but everyone but i think punks and you know but i i i think you're not giving yourself enough credit because i think you mean for for people like trana and i like your work always registered as queer even though you don't identify as queer yourself because there's a campy element there's yeah. a fun element there's a joyful element that even as a child i was like this is different this is not what i this is not like the rest of the culture but it was so close yeah to the drag culture yeah well you in did that you, you, you were know, a drag king on, on on mademoiselle anne the yes. video for your your uh, the first single of your second album absolutely but you know there's something that is so similar about wanting to create a world that is special that is colorful mm. and uh, so i've always felt like that and uh, and at the same time it's very close to manga too mm -hmm. it's very close in it it's was cartoonish. a wow. right. it's cartoonish yeah. yeah it was a persona it was you know but but it was me and it was my creation yeah and i mean it was, i mean the fact that we still remember it all these years later, you know, and I'd love to go back to that moment, you know, 1988, Bye Bye Mon Cowboy. Do you remember how that song came to you? Do you remember anything about recording it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Um, so first of all, I have to tell you that I started working on the song uh, when I was in Sec 5 at FACE. Uh, Fave is the art school in downtown Montreal. Education, yeah. yeah, right in front of uh, McGill University, and uh, so I was there. My uh, and I, I started going out pretty early in my life. Mm. 
So uh, at this point, I was friends and, and, and we became lovers with Jean-Pierre Isaac, yeah. who was um, who was a, a, I mean, a he songwriter wrote so and a many producer. Hits in that yes. era. Yeah, but he yes, started but he with was you. Starting. He yeah. was starting. He didn't start with me because he started with Les Bébés yeah. uh, before that. But uh, but he, he was starting to be hot. And I would go dance at Le Belmont. Yeah. And uh, I would dance on, on different songs and, and Marcia Baila from yeah. Lirita Mitsuko was the great, you know, like one of the greatest songs at the time. And I told Jean-Pierre, like, could you write something that is a bit like that and then a bit like that, you know? And, and so he did. And when I heard Bye Bye for the first time, I was like, this is it. And then I created the persona. Yeah. So um, one of my friends, Julie, uh, Insect 5 as well, would always go on the stairs of, of the school, of face, and she would smoke a cigarette. And she had this like cowboy jacket, you know, with fringes. Mm -hmm. And she would wear her hair in braids. And I thought, this is so cool. I'm going <laughs> to steal the braids. <laughs> and then there was a hat. Where did you well, find the hat? The hat is the only thing that I bought, that I actually bought for the look. The rest I owned. Wow. I had a mini skirt. <laughs> yeah. I took my mom's uh, 60s boots. And we just, and, and I just created that. I had a bra. I had a, a little... Um, a little coat and that was it. So I went to Henri Henri yeah. on uh, St. Catherine Street, which, which was right beside Les Fofun Electric. And I bought this hat. How much was it? I can't remember. <laughs> Maybe $135 or something like That's that. That's expensive. I think at the time, but I'm not sure anymore. But I think it's the best investment that yes. I've made in my life. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I mean, that song was so big, not just in Quebec, but all across Canada. And you were so young. So I released the song. I was 17. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. I was not even 18. It was a wild ride from the age of 18 to let's say 30. So you huge success with Bye Bye, more songs. Uh, Dis-moi, dis-moi, you're in your early 20s. I'm going to talk about this song because it's such an iconic song. Uh, the music video, again, for a lot of people our age, it was really like a sexual revelation. It was, you know, uh, you naked, uh, sitting on a chair. We just see the back of the chair. You're in a gym shower or a sauna. See, it was a sauna. It was, was a, a gay the, sauna? No, it was uh, the... In, and then people are showering naked behind you, mm -hmm. obviously very hot and very athletic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Giovanni <laughs> models. <laughs> I have to say, I don't necessarily remember the women in the video, but I do remember the men. And, <laughs> they and, were all hot. Uh, all of them were super supermodels because I had asked the owner of the the modeling agency if I could have you know the best, <laughs> the hottest man, the hottest man, <laughs> the hottest uh, women, and, and you had such a like sexual image at the time. It was yeah. so, and even and and I say that go, wait, go for it. What are you okay. going to say? Once again, 
<laughs> Once again, I'm doing the clip and then it's time for the chair scene because you, you might not remember, but there were clothes in that video. Okay. So okay. I had done all, you know, the, the, the clean, the clean, cleansier, the clean, the clean version, the, the clean, you know, scenes. And then, uh, there was the scene where I would be naked behind a chair. And then again, I thought like, why did I do, why did I decide to do this? This is crazy. Uh, and, and then, uh, we just did a close set and I did it, but me, like I'm, I'm not like that in real right. life that much. I can, if I have a lot of drinks, but <laughs> if not, you know, so it's always like, what did I get myself into again? But, but there it's always my idea. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> what was a different kind of character, I guess, because you were talking about for El Mundo, you know, creating this almost like cartoon character. Yeah. And then for Dimois Dimois and your second album, it was, I guess, do you see it as like a, a new character? It was more mature. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Start I mean, the hair. video got so much attention. It was banned on a lot of music video stations. You even got like big press in the United States about the video. And inevitably, it drew a lot of comparisons to Madonna and what she had gone through with the Justify My Love video and Erotica video. How did you feel about those Madonna comparisons? Because you used to get them a lot and people sort of thought of you as like the Quebec mm -hmm. Madonna, was she an inspiration to you? Did those comments or comparisons bother you? I think we ha we both had the same inspirations. Mm -hmm. C'était la mode, fashion, you know, from Europe. Internet didn't, didn't exist yeah. at the time. So it was all about, you know, the Italian Vogue uh, that I would buy that was like $19 in import. And it was just so expensive, but there were, that's where all the greatest pictures were and and madonna um she was she wasn't she wasn't meaning that um i'm more a fan of her creations uh visually than her music okay i'm i'm not into pop that much personally but um, but always loved what she did and uh, the budget that she had. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the strength of character yeah. also that she had. I'm a much softer person, yeah. I think. Than, What's your than astrological sign? Virgo. Okay. Oh, yeah. Very specific Virgo, magazines, yes. sketchbook. Okay, yeah. I see that. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but Very uh, micromanagement. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, another similarity would be the way that the culture kind of wasn't ready for her or you in terms of the image and the sexuality. And I find it interesting looking back on your career. Today we have language, we have vocabulary about being sex positive, body positive, Thank you. slut shaming slut at shaming, the time. When I heard the word slut shaming, Thomas, I was like, oh shit. That was it. I was driving on the carry and i will always remember the moment i was listening to radio once again and they named you know the the, the word the expression i was like shit this is what i got yeah that's what you've been through <sighs> that's what i've been through wait this up yeah that's what i've been through this is what i lived for so many years and i didn't know how how to fight it yeah 
Because because at the beginning you were sort of obviously the darling of the media and 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 the press and it worked really well, but eventually, it's almost like the media started to turn its back on you and satirize you and make fun of that element of your personality. And I remember that you know mid nineties. What tell us about those years? And because it's I think I think as much as the success is important, the darkness is also important when we want to move forward and build ourselves back. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go into that. After 10 years of singing, there was nothing I could release that people would buy. Right. Because uh, because I think that I was such a, a, a star for for kids and for the younger generation that as soon as uh, they were like older teenagers, they couldn't say it's like it's yeah. like. It was like what Britney Spears yeah. lived at one point or uh, Justin. See, yeah. There was something about turning, uh, about kids turning their backs on the, the stars that they loved previously. Mm. And at the same time, I have to say that times changed and music changed in the early 90s. So, uh, or mid 90s and, you know, with the with Nirvana. Yeah, it got grittier. Yeah, it was like it was all about grunge, well, and did, there I'm, was nothing I could do to change the 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 vision that people had of me. You know, it was like I was having a hard time paying my my condo, which I had bought with the money from Bye Bye. So I was eating cans and going to eat at my mom's. Right. To be able to survive. So it was it was wild. And uh, I was helping out a friend uh, who who got dumped by her boyfriend. <laughs> and so I went to live there for two months. And my last big, you know, like my last creation uh, of an album, it was very um, um, electronic. Yeah. And I think it was again too early for for quebec so i released it i think it was i think is it's my best album actually i love the song when yeah. i die yeah. <laughs> i want this album on every chair and bench in the and chapel I, in, in the, the chapel yeah in yeah. the church and yeah. i want people to have to listen to it <laughs> and to realize <laughs> that it was the best work <laughs> So I have, I have to ask, like, you know, hearing you talk about yeah. that last album, yeah. you know, and like how, I mean, how much mm -hmm. you love it and are proud of it as you should be. How hard was it to accept that the music was not something you were going to keep doing anymore? I will give you one image. I couldn't for 10 years afterwards, after creating this album, I couldn't listen to it without crying because mm. I sold a thousand copies mm. <laughs> of my best album. Yeah. So, so it was, it was very hard. It was, I think that I was pretty lucky in love, in real love, but my heartbreaks were with my music. That's where my heart got crashed you know and um and and 
I think I'm, I'm starting to survive this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's something you it, would ever do again? It's not that I want to do it. It's just that I would have loved to be able to continue it at the time mm-hmm. because my life is, you know, I've made myself a, of course. a pretty, you know, nice little, little thing here, yes. little life and existence. So it's good. But um, but I would have loved at the time to mm-hmm. not to feel rejected like I was. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For years every morning in the car my mom would drive me to school we would leave very very early she would drive me to school and i would listen to you on stankardrol it was a morning radio show at that time you you took that job you said you it was it was hard financially for you you took that job and uh you were the weather person mm-hmm. and i just remember it was my first time listening to the radio and feeling the magic of chemistry And it's a morning radio show, but you did a great job. The morning man on the show did a great job. Pierre Pagé. Bring us back to kind of that transition and the humility it took. You have been <laughs> such a star. And then, but then you don't know it was the beginning of the rest of your life. And life was going to be so generous with you. I ha- When I did 10 years of radio, I was thinking, okay, I'm... I'm doing it, you know, like I've been doing it more than than music, but I can bring you back uh, with the request of uh, doing radio because uh, when I was singing, uh, I, I would have a few people once in a while telling me, oh, you should you should do radio. But I didn't take it seriously, you know, because to me it was a. A beat job. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at one point, I had started the company with Johan um, and, and, and Andrew, uh, a third partner. And then right before Christmas, I'm driving with my husband-to-be uh, to New York because he has family in New York as well. And then we get a call and they need to switch the whole morning show at Energy uh, 94.3 because it's not working out. They had started, you know, with someone pretty well known and it like it dropped dramatically and they need an, uh, uh, you know, to, to create an, a new yeah. show. And uh, so they asked me and I didn't realize that much or again, I was naive enough to think that it was going to be my show. <laughs> and then I realized shit I'm only doing the weather <laughs> but that was and, the start of such a yes, wild ride for you on the radio yes it was wild fun to have people 
like telling me on the street. And very often what what was touching uh, were guys who came up to me and told me that I remind them of their girlfriends. <laughs> Why was it touching? Because I reminded them of their girlfriends in their silly ways. Well, it's, there's, I think that's a quality that you have. You f it feels, I mean, maybe not, maybe not my girlfriend, but my sister no or my, I think that's what you have is like, you're everyone's sister, a bit cousin, clumsy, <laughs> a bit forgetful, a bit, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I grew up in Montreal, but in the West Island, which is a very Anglophone neighborhood. So I didn't really grow up with the Quebec culture. You know, I was watching all American shows and English Canadian shows. And it was only later on in life that I discovered that here in Quebec, like we have our own sort of Hollywood, this star system. And I, you were the first person that I really discovered in that. And it made me so excited. How would you, cause you're such a part of this star system. Like you're still on the cover of like magazines all the time. I see you at the pharmacy all the <laughs> yes. time. <you> too. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe the sort of, entertainment industry in Quebec to someone who might not know what it is here? There is a star system, not only in music, but even more in on TV. It is crazy how uh, Quebec people will watch their show. It is strong. Yeah, it it's just very, very fascinating to me. Different. And, uh, and I, you know, it, it's what's making me uh, also make a good living. I mean, and you you God, you operate God. some of the biggest studios in Quebec mm -hmm. where American movies are shot. Like, let's just be clear here. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> let's just be here. It's like, you know, like huge blockbusters are shot in studios that you owned. Yes. So you the business that you started back in the day doing the weather in the morning today, mm -hmm. you it's it's really impressive. Thank God. Okay. It is great that we did, uh, we, uh, we, we just finished uh, Moonfall, mm -hmm. which is going to be released uh, next uh, February. And it is the biggest movie that was ever shot in, in Quebec. But at the same time, if we didn't have all of those Quebec productions mm. happening, we would be dead. Yeah. Because Americans can come and go, you know. But my my bread and butter yeah. is well, you're Quebec just... TV. Well, I'm, I mean, part of the reason that I'm so excited that we have this chance to talk with you and to talk with you in English, because I don't think you really do many. I mean, I can't really think of a big English interview that you've done, at least no, recently. And getting to hear your story this personally, one on one. And I know that like you've spoken about you know, body image issues. And again, like so much of your visual work was about this like body positivity and sex positivity. Can you, if you're comfortable, speak about that sort of journey with that, that the feeling that you have towards your body, the feeling that you have towards who you are? We've mentioned other pop stars, you know, that started super young, like Britney and so many other people that I'm not saying that you were taken advantage of in those days, but just the hyper attention that is put on women's bodies, especially through our public figures, our pop stars, our actresses, and you lived through it. 
I have many things to say, <laughs> but let me start with uh, what you've mentioned about not giving up. I don't think in, in life it's only about not giving up. It's to adjust. Mm. Because if you're just like continuing <laughs> to do what you think, right. it's not going to work. At one point, yeah, no, you just have to say like, okay, you know, let's try it, you know, in another way. Let's do something else. Let's adjust. And that is really important. But yes, I can talk about women in the industry you know we're 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 now so open about uh i don't want it to be political i was going to to say we're so open about uh um gays and drags and look at rita baga but you know it's not mm -hmm. enough obviously Okay, so let's put it this way. Um, but it is now in the culture. And I have a feeling that in the same culture, women, we will never accept women as fully intellectual and sexual beings at the same time. Uh. And here's my theory. Okay, bear with me. I think that when you see someone, like when you see a sexy gal on the street and, and, you, know, and, and you desire women, um, when you see someone cute, <laughs> I will say, yeah, and the first thing that you will, the first reflex that you will have is to chase that person. And if you're chasing someone, you want them to be a Bambi, you know? Mm. You want him, him or her to be dumb. You want, you want them to be naive enough. So I think to me, there's, there's a reflex of hoping the person is dumb. Mm. And I think that's what happened to me. I was 17, I was so proud, so strong, and I think it was a it might have been too much. But at the same time, I I didn't express myself like I do now, you mm -hmm. know? I was just a freaking kid. Yeah. Um and I and I got nervous and the more people would tell would tell to my face or in the newspaper, or, you know, that I would read or that I would hear on TV that I'm a dumb ass, a dumb blonde, a dumb, I would believe it, you know? So mm. I, I, I really started to believe it. And uh, it took me years to realize that I wasn't. So it has an effect on someone, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, And slut shaming is still happening big time. I mean, so we, you know, we spoke about your, you know, 20 year career in radio, which you just recently left. 
And, you know, we spoke just, just now about the idea of adjustment and, and reorienting yourself and reinventing yourself. And I know that when you announced that you were leaving the radio, that um, you spoke about the idea of like new creative projects. Is there anything that you can share with us about what you have planned for this new direction? Um, well, today I was, I was writing about farts <laughs> so i can tell you that <laughs> and it's in a book that i'm writing are you writing a book <laughs> i i am but i won't say it publicly okay. but i will tell you okay. <laughs> and i will tell you on on your on your podcast obviously but i'm i'm writing something yes and uh, i just um created myself a little a little den a little office uh in the country and there is a you know there is a computer table and everything but there is also a lot of paint um and a lot of um the toile see so yeah i'm looking forward to be able to have time to paint which is something that i did before i met my husband in my in my two years lapse that i was a uh i was a nobody a or bohemian I was a, a bohemian <laughs> or a, a uh, or a has-been a 25 year old has-been <laughs> But I don't think you were ever a husband meets with all. Yeah, and I can I can be yeah. again. Yeah, that's for sure. One one thing is for sure is that I don't I I really appreciate uh what I've got. And uh it's funny because people were asking me, do you mind uh when people are asking you for autographs or pictures? And I said, No, because when you lost it, mm you will appreciate every moment, every time someone comes to you and tells you, you know, there's that there's a link to their lives. Mm. Even if it's a man telling me that I showed him what, you know, what sexiness or mm. <laughs> that's part I, of I it. That's part of your story. Their sexuality. I much prefer, prefer when, Girls tell me that, yeah, because there's something really special about mm -hmm. you showed me what it is to be a woman. But mm. um, wow, people share too much when they don't know you. That's that's what I'm yeah, getting. Yeah, but it's the it's the me too factor, and the that's how I like it. Yeah, that's I think you're really like you're it. really good at nurturing that connection and that link with people. And I think that's something I, I love wow. about you. In general, yeah. if you open up, yeah. they will open up too. Uh -huh. So, uh, so yeah, love that. Um, I want to wrap up with something very corny that they do on RuPaul's Drag Race mm -hmm. towards the end of the season. Yeah. I don't know if that's the episode, the episode you were on, because I don't think you can say much. But um, they uh, showed the contestants a picture of them when they were seven years old. And then they asked the contestant or the queen to speak to the young child. So that's a sort of metaphor to the inner child. So my question to you is very simple. Mm -hmm. What would you tell seven-year-old uh, Anne-Marie Mitsujelina? Well, you have to learn your tables. Multiplication <laughs> is Math. very important. Math is important. <laughs> the okay. table, there are tons of things that I would have done differently. I, I don't like people who say that they, they would have kept, kept it the same because it's not true. There, I, I would have worked harder. I would have studied uh, my craft 
harder. Um, I'm torn right now because is it is it that I would have liked my parents to be more is it about working harder or is it about doing your passions mm. and I'm still torn between working harder or doing what's easy for me but that I do best you know and somewhere in the middle there's a you know there's the, there's a sweet spot Okay, well, I'm so thankful that you took this time with us. I can't tell you how much it means to just, even just be in your presence. <laughs> I swear, I know it sounds corny, but there's this energy that you just radiate that feels so loving and healing, I swear. Um, so. Mitsu Jelina. To stay up to date with everything that's going on in Mitsu's world, uh, follow her on Instagram at Mitsujilina. And you can also check out her magazine, MitsuMagazine.com. Obsession. Obsession. What are you obsessed with? What am I obsessed with? What are you obsessed with? I am obsessed with the new unofficial, unauthorized <laughs> Celine Dion biopic, <laughs> Alain. Oh my God. I'm alive. On a un diamant brut. J'ai presque manqué de pleurer. Avant même tout le monde à terre. Ah, voici maintenant un moment que nous attendons tous avec impatience. C'est la révélation au Québec. Written, directed, and starring Valérie Lemercier, who is a French from France, comedian, writer, actor. The only thing I know from her past is that she did a movie in blackface. So right off the bat, Valérie Lemercier is a problematic figure. Yeah, for sure. And I think she likes to literally put herself in someone else's skin, clearly <laughs> from these God. two. Um, but yeah, so uh, about Celine, I think Celine is, is deeply funny. I think Celine herself is funny. So the idea of a funny biopic about her. But I think that we need to explain first is why it's called Aline and just not Celine. Well, because they couldn't get the rights to Celine's <laughs> life story. And so they they do that throughout the movie. Everything from the real Celine's life is slightly modified. So the names are modified. Celine's last name, Dion, is turned into Dieu. So the story is basically in Ellen is a, it's Celine's story. It's a, it's a love story between her and her manager. And we kind of see Ellen fall in love with Guy Claude, um, who is played by Sylvain Marcel, a Quebec actor, who's really the highlight of the movie for me. He's like Absolutely. so good as Rene. Yeah, he he has he nailed the way that Rene speaks, like down to the rhythm of his voice, the huskiness. Um, it's almost scary how much he is Rene. And I think it's scary in the sense that Valérie in so many interviews like really has insisted that this movie is a love story. And it's creepy because as most of us know, the real life story of Celine and Renee is that Renee met Celine when she was 12 and became her manager. And then when Celine was 18, they, you know, started a quote unquote romance. I just want to say that Renee met Celine when he was 36 and she was 12. And then a few years later, they got together. I'm 36 now and I, I don't. 
you know, now it's even creepier because I'm <laughs> his age. And I'm like, this is even more fucked up than what I thought when I was growing up. But they make it look in Alain, like this, the love story between Alain and Guy-Claude, like it's fully normal. But I don't think it ever comes off as normal. Like, and that's why it's so weird to hear Valérie talk about it as a love story because it's not. It's more like true crime. It's more like <laughs> Law & Order SVU. <laughs> to Valérie's credit, I do think there are instances when she really gets it right. Like she really nails Celine's mannerisms. Well, to me, the thing that stood out the most was Valérie understands how profoundly unsexy Celine is <laughs> in her physicality and the way that Celine moves. There's a scene where Aline is doing a photo shoot that is reminiscent of the Taking Chances right. album photo yeah, shoot. Yeah. With the pantsuit. The pantsuit. Pan yeah. And in that scene, that's where <laughs> Valérie nailed it. Because Celine thinks she's being sexy, but she's being a giant dork. She is a dork. And like that is to me is the essence of Celine and Valérie got that. Yeah. And what is the most wild part of the movie that we haven't mentioned yet is that Valérie plays Celine at every <laughs> age, including five years old. When you see Aline on screen for the first time, it's Valérie's face CGI'd onto the body of a five-year-old. And the scale is off. Like, she looks too small. And then when Aline becomes 18 and she's, like, fully sized, she looks too big. It's basically the new cats. I love... It is the new cats. I love also how France has given us, like, the three craziest movies of the year between <laughs> Titan, Annette, and Aline. <laughs> it's like, what is going on in France? Seriously. What are you obsessed with? Father, son, and house of Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was a name that sounded so sweet, so seductive. Synonymous with words. Style. Power. But that name was a curse too. We're blessed. Talk about another wild ride <laughs> of a biopic. I went to see House of Gucci. Uh, the the I guess the first Thursday night it was um, in in theaters. I went with my Sicilian boyfriend, his gay brother, and their little sister, all Sicilian. I, I think I've watched the trailers, the two trailers, probably fifty times since <laughs> they came out in the summer. I mean, Gaga's accent. Wow, is because you saw it too. I saw it too. I mean, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would because I was expecting a full-on disaster. And in many ways, it is a disaster, but it's a delicious disaster uh, like Showgirls. It's yeah. very on the Showgirls level. But the accents were what really <laughs> drove me crazy. <laughs> but Gaga's especially, and I think what makes Gaga's stand out so much is because on the press tour for the movie, she has spoken about how for six months she was method acting and living in this Patricia mode. So Gaga plays Patricia Gucci, who's married to Maurizio Gucci. Who's so story. she immerses herself in the role and the sort of accent is the 
is what she says she's worked so hard it for. It doesn't make sense <laughs> how it took her six months to come up with an accent that any of us could just start doing right now. I mean, right I don't now. consider myself to be a particularly ethical person, <laughs> but doc, doc, I am fed. <laughs> you know, like, wow. Like when she oh, goes. Oh, yeah, when they're, they're planning the murder, which with, is, so Sama Hayek <laughs> plays this psychic named Pina, who's Patricia's best friend, and they could collude together to get Maurizio There are a lot of comedic duos in that movie, though. They Those are, two. But they are the best. Yeah. Gaga, everyone that I've spoken to about this movie is like, this should have been Thelma and Louise, Patrizia and ah. Pina. <laughs> Like that's it's what the movie true. should have been called. It should have been called Patrizia and Pina. That's true. That is true. <laughs> or it should have been called Patrizia and Pina Kill Maurizio. Yeah. That would have been the best movie ever. And she and Gaga has no chemistry with Adam Driver whatsoever. No. no chemistry. There's a pretty like intense sex scene between the two of them <laughs> in the beginning of the movie. And it should be hot. It's like you want it to be hot. You want to be turned on. Well, Adam but Driver you're not. is pretty hot. He is. Yeah. And so is Gaga. Yeah. yeah. Even though her face is becoming more and more <laughs> frozen. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, people have to see it. Uh, she should not get nominated for no, anything. we have to stop enabling her. <laughs> I love her, but she takes these things way too seriously and she needs to be stopped. Because the thing with that movie is it's, it's fine, but it should really just have been a Netflix show. It's Halston. But she's talking about it as if she has just created a <laughs> masterpiece <laughs> like there's no self-awareness when she's talking about this movie it's the same thing with her albums like i remember when art pop came out and born this way came out in all the pre-interviews before the release she would say things like this is totally going to reinvent music <laughs> and i think that she pop. thinks house of gucci has like totally reinvented Cinema, filmmaking. yeah <laughs> people have to see it yeah go yeah. treat yourselves to a double feature this holiday oh, season yes. go see Alin in the early afternoon and House of Gucci in the evening. <laughs> Time for credits. <laughs> the favorite part of the show. <laughs> Chosen Family is produced by me, Thomas Leblanc. <laughs> and me, Trana Winter. Aiden McMahon edits and mixes the show. Natalia Dongo is our contributing producer. SK Robert is our digital producer. Tina Vermeer is our senior producer. And Arif Narani is the executive producer of CBC Podcasts. Chosen Family's music is by The Lost Boys. Chosen Family is a CBC podcast originally developed in association with Fi Studio. We are recording this season at Tomi Park Studio. There's still time to watch our Sagittarius edition of Lucky Stars, the web series that we do with Extra Magazine. We roast celebrities born under each sun sign. And I mean, we did a Sag pop music special. Brittany... Taylor Swift. All of them. And of course, Capricorn season is coming up. So make sure to tune in. You can find that at extramagazine.com and on their YouTube page. We also have a column with them. Read that too. And of course, you can listen to Chosen Family wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating. Share this with a friend. Come on, you guys. We only have one more episode left of the season. We never, ever can say goodbye.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.